Spencer Tunick is uh, an incredible artist yeah. slash photographer. I've only known Spencer because of you, really. Yeah, I met him um, because he came to one of my shows a long time ago in Europe and ended up in our hotel room taking pictures of me and half the band, half naked. Nice. That's what he does. Yeah. He takes pictures of large groups of people in the nude, but it's... Uh, and it's, he does it well. Yeah, it's beautiful work. Um, yeah, anyway, it's inspired. You gotta... Yeah, it's I'm, hard I'm to, glad we got him. Yeah, me too. And some great stories ahead about his... Uh, about death threats and becoming man of the year. Yeah, in Chile. In Chile. The Adventures of Spencer Tuna coming up. Right now. Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. Today's guest is Spencer Tunick. It's it's crazy uh, the whole Jesse Mallon on 10th Street and A. Dude, that's who got, that's where anyway, that's What are you talking about? Jesse Mallon found Spencer Tunick an apartment on 10th and A. Well, I was moving from uh uh the Lower East Side on 3rd Street, heading up to uh, 10th Street to live, and I was looking for a uh, a van. Do I have to wear these things? No. Oh, my God. Thank Lord. Why, why are you like... I love wearing them. Oh, my God. I can't talk. Wait, I can't... You, then you're I was he- never good at this. Because then you're hearing your voice or something? Yeah, yeah. But you're used to it. Oh, man. I love the sound of my own voice. <laughs> I tell that story. <laughs> You get, right. you get used to it. It, it it makes you kind of more inside the conversation when you put them on. There's but, a video of me talking to a crowd uh-huh. in uh in England in Hull <laughs> and it's 5000 people <laughs> and there's reverb or whatever it's uh-huh, called it and out. I'm talking like this. Please put your clothes right. in, you know, I couldn't just talk so I'm I, I get I don't know how to do it. Like, you get self-conscious. Not self-conscious. I can't physically do it. It's amazing. But there's a reason you can't do it, and that's probably self-consciousness. I don't know. It's like some technical thing going on. That. But Jesse Mallon. Uh, yeah, I was living on 3rd Street and Avenue um, and 3rd and C, between C and D. And I looked. I was at Kim's video, and I saw a sign that says, Man with Van. Uh-huh. Made in Sharpie, probably, <laughs> and it was uh, Jesse Mallon was uh, moving moving my apartment just with me. It was just me and him. Wow, he was just the nicest person. He really is. And um, what year was this? You remember? I think it was ninety three or something, or ninety two. And he, uh, he, I remember he was going out with a woman named Jesse who worked at Sidewalk Cafe. Anyway, we have Spencer Tunick on the podcast. The great Spencer Tunick. Spencer Tunick. Spencer is a world famous photographer. Yeah, you've seen his work. Millions of nude people in the city center. That's why I always say, you ever see that uh, photographer? Like a thousand nude people in the city center. That's Spencer Tunick, and always people are like, "Oh yeah." Yeah, I think that's my, my way name, to describe you. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> is that's that okay? Good. No, that's great. Okay, good. It used to be the. The photographer who was arrested in Times Square, but somehow I, 
in New York, I've sort of, in 20 years since then, I've kind of moved beyond that to the uh, thousands of people in, in city squares, which yeah. is a, it's a good And not just thing. city squares. I mean, you do things in, on mountains and, I mean, fantastic stuff, too, where you, like, incorporate other things, like uh, people in, like, sheen. Some of my favorite stuff you do is when, like, people are covered in the sheen. I right. don't know how to describe it. It's a, sort of a clear... Uh, transparent diaphanous fabric okay so uh, it's a, a white fabric that you ca- is tra- transparent and you can see the body yeah but yet it's still sort of hidden and in the right light it can glow it's dreamlike definitely but it's like a dream I, w- I never have a dream like that but I wish I did it's like a dream I wish I could have <laughs> <laughs> channeling the spirits yeah yeah it's like that how do you do that? How do you put together these massive groups of people and how do you, how how have you achieved that over the years? Well, I often compare it to um like a a band uh coming to town and and wanting to gather you know, an audience for their gig, but they're they're working for themselves as far as trying to promote it, but also the venue is working to promote it as well. And in a way, people think my works are really massive, but in a, but in a way they're quite intimate in that sometimes it's 500 people and that's what a, you know, a band would play to sometimes right so yeah. it's uh well uh, nowadays that would be like a successful well depending it's all relative right. but that would be a successful rock and roll show for right definitely 500 people into a club you yeah know? so when but when 500 people are naked it, it people think it's it almost sounds like 5,000 or 50,000 that right. when you when the word naked comes into the into the picture it's always seems like more but um so i guess i when i first started out organizing these group nudes it was uh in the early mid 90s and i would uh hand out flyers uh that the first flyers were i did myself at kinko's uh xeroxing one of my past photos and just writing the information underneath meet me at the united nations at 5:30 a.m don't be late, mm-hmm. wear loose-fitting clothing, um, you'll get a print in exchange for posing. Mm-hmm. And people would just show up. And so I would hand out, uh, for other ones that I did, I would hand out approximately a 1,000 and 10% would show up or less. Sometimes. Well, the first time you did it, were you like nervous nobody would show up? Or Yes, the first time I did it, I, I handed out flyers and called people on the phone. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was really nervous. Uh, it was for a weird reason. I chose a very high profile location in front of the United Nations. Um, and I did political thing or, well, I, at the time there was, uh, there was news about the genocide in Rwanda and I was, it was not a protest, but I was sort of challenging or channeling that when I was working. And, um, but I never, until maybe a, a few months later, mentioned that that was in my mind. 
Um, so I, the reason why I did it in front of the United Nations is because I did scout the United Nations for an individual nude. And uh, meaning individual is for the, since, 90, since 1990 to 94, I was uh, photographing one-on-one, -on -one, one person on the streets of New York at sunrise, usually on a Saturday or Sunday. Uh, and uh, I had scouted the United Nations, so I knew, you know, the traffic and what, I knew what would happen early in the morning. I knew where the police were, where the security was, uh, the, the time that traffic took to pass in front and then it's disappear. It's like a bank robbery. It's like when, like in the movies, when they like when they heist, when they yeah. like a bank heist. Oh sure! And they like clock all the information, and they know exactly when the cop is walking to go get his lunch. It's all timed out. It's timed <laughs> like, exactly. It's like Rafifi. Yeah. <laughs> you ever see that movie, Rafifi? No, I I gotta uh, write that down. It's an old black and white movie. It's got like a thirty minute bank robbery scene in, in the middle of it with no music and no dialogue, total silence. But it's like riveting. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. Set in uh, what? set in like you know black and white times. Okay. I don't know like specifically the date, but you know, before color. Right. Oh my goodness. Yeah, Rafifi. It's it's a great one. Anyway. Sorry to interrupt. No, I love you interrupting. <laughs> interrupt <laughs> yeah. me. You okay. have more to say. I'll keep interrupting. Okay, good. No, but so, okay, so so you knew what was going to happen. What what drew you to do, what interested you in, in nudes specifically? That's what I'm kind of curious about. Like, right. what's this like sort of, almost, I guess you could say obsession with it um, or fascination with it. I don't know if obsession is a negative sounding word. It's not. Negative. I think uh, my mom used to take me to the museum of M modern art and I, I was, uh, interested in Rousseau and very moved by Gauguin and just seeing painting. And then my father had a subscription to playboy. Right. And so I think the combination of my mom being an artist and yeah. my mom went to Parsons and, and also this collection of uh, old playboys from the sixties mm -hmm. fascinated me uh, when I was, when I was young and just uh, that combination somehow led me into being very interested in the body, not so much in photography at first, but more in cinema Mm. And um, more in cinema. I was I was very interested how uh, you wanted to be a filmmaker. Yeah, I wanted to be a filmmaker. I see. And um, and then that slowly uh, turned to me wanting to be an animator, doing animation. Really? Somehow, I, I was fascinated by. Ha uh, I think it was Ray Harryhausen, um, or Harry Harry. I can't say it. Can you say Harry Harryhausen? Harry Harryhausen? No, I can't. I don't want to. No. <laughs> so, um, so he did all these films. Uh, he did uh, a lot of the animation on, on the Sinbad films. Uh, so the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and some Jason and the Argonauts. So he mm -hmm. was a, a, a big animator of claymation and puppets and... On, and so I was interested in that, and so uh, I went to Emerson College thinking that that would be a way for me to figure out if I uh, wanted to be a filmmaker. And then in, in, in college, I took uh, filmmaking classes, um, some at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, 
and uh, some at Emerson, and I realized that, um, well, I did shoot a film, <laughs> an animated film of uh, pistachios <laughs> with clay in them, and then somehow coming... Claymation. Claymation, coming, opening up, coming into a big a big sort of uh, shape and, uh, and uh, doing something. I can't remember what it was doing, but... Uh, and uh, half the f- it was I shot it with 16 millimeter and half the film came out black. So half the frame was black, half the frame was there, and I realized this sucks. <laughs> you know, all yeah, this it's time like time consuming yeah. as hell. Like claymation, that's like four, like eight months for five minutes of footage. <laughs> it <laughs> was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, like. And then I failed, and I'm like. And ideas were coming at me so quickly, and I was like, I just want to get my ideas out there. Yeah. So. And uh, I tried uh, doing sculpture and um, tried drawing, but I, I felt that I, t- I decided to take a photography class in, in, at Emerson College, and I fell in love with it. And my teacher uh, was great. Uh, it was just a, and then I, it was like a, just one guy changed my life. The and teacher. A teacher, St- Steve Ships. How did he do that? And he's a uh, was a photojournalist. Okay. And uh, just a great teacher, really laid back, you know, had essence of you mm-hmm. in it, if that makes sense. Essence of me? Yeah, just reminds me of you a little oh. bit, like if you were my photography teacher. Oh, okay. Like caring, but in a way just like very relaxed and mm-hmm. supportive. Um, oh, that's nice. Thank so, you. Yeah. And then um, and then I, I was like, what am I doing in college? Uh, I got to go to photo school, what am I doing at Emerson? And he, it was, cha- he changed your life though, yeah. like just by saying like, hey, just by what, just turning you on to photography in a way that yeah, no one else had? turning or? me on to photography. I'd never really shot black and white film before. Right. And then while I was in college, I had a very supportive girlfriend who agreed to uh, pose for me. Uh-huh. And then I started photographing her. Right. Um, and you're in like, like wow, a, I can do this. A big room in the yeah. dormitory uh, in uh, Charleston, Charles Gate in Boston, uh-huh. uh, and uh, I uh, photographed her her torso uh, in front of a uh, radiator in front of a, a window, and it was a detail, and it was just so beautiful, the light, and I fell in love with it. Yeah, and so. Um, that was it. That's that was like yeah, just the birth of your voice. In right, way. definitely. Thank, thank goodness that I I had a girlfriend at the time right. that was willing to do that because I might not have been able to approach people to ask them at that time. Right, that's cool. Yeah, that's a good story. And then from there it just evolved, and then you're like, so you're in front of the United Nations on your first one, right? Right, I'm in front of the United Nations. Around 28 people showed up. 28, huh? And the police were so out of how, sh- out of how many flyers? I would say I handed out 150 flyers. Oh, so that's and a good percentage. 28 phone calls or something like that. This makes me want to know too, real quick. Like, what what do you think? Because you also compared it to a rock concert and like people coming to a rock concert. And if people coming to a concert are getting whatever people get from music, but we kind of know people get something from music. So that's kind of like who knows what that is, but. They're getting something. What do you think they're getting from coming to like a Spencer Tunic shoot where there's like so many people? And like, what do you think? Do you think it's like unleashing some kind of 
part of them or the, why, why do you think that people want to participate in a nude event like that? I think um, most of the people are not nudists. Right. And they just are everyday people that want to have an experience. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, most of them have, are museum goers or gallery goers. Mm -hmm. they're, they, they have an idea that, uh, that, that they're making an artwork and the, the more they participate in a collaborative way, the better the work will be. Mm -hmm. So they feel like makers. Yeah, they feel like co-creators. Right. And yeah. so, and, and also I give everyone a photograph in exchange for posing. So that right. plays a large part. I don't think if I did that, um, if, if did, I didn't do it, I don't think I would get as many people. Just the experience I feel is not enough. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's a great, I remember once being at one of your shoots and that's a big incentive for a lot of people, especially now since you're well known, but back... When was this UN shoot? What year are we? Uh, ninety four. Wow. Right. So people, I would give, I would print, uh, you know, twenty eight prints, sometimes one hundred and fifty prints, black and white, in a dark room, and then I would, everyone would meet at Max Fish on the Lower East Side, on Ludlow Street, and I was Max Fish. Yeah. Shout out Max <laughs> Fish. I was friends with the owner. <laughs> I like. I, I just want to go back to the whole like print thing, though. I think that is obviously like, yeah, a big draw is to get a print from you. But to do something like take off your clothes in a group right. of people and be photographed, and especially I do agree, I don't think most people who participate are nudists or anything like that. It's probably a to like, it's got to be more for the experience of it. And that experience is like a once in a lifetime thing. Like you're providing a sort of a. I don't know, like a vortex for people to go through that they wouldn't right. normally. Well, it is exhilarating. Yeah. And um, and even the hippest of hip will find it, you know, at that time found it, uh, you know, energizing and, and incredibly alluring uh, to do. Because, liberating. Too. Yeah, no one had done it in many years since the late 60s uh, in that way. Uh, there had been groups of nude outdoors. Uh, Yayo Kusama, uh, Japanese artist, had happenings in the late 60s of nude people at MoMA, on the Brooklyn Bridge, and Central Park, but no one was really hitting the streets with groups since then. So, And with that many people, so I think involved. And so I think it was a sort of a, a new thing that was happening back then. And... Uh, uh, in because of the numbers of people, um, and I think it was you know it was an underground adventure, an urban adventure, mm -hmm. and you, the way people found out about it was very difficult because I would just stand on the street in Ludlow on Ludlow Street and hand out flyers from ten and ten at night on the weekends till four in the morning. Yeah, this is before the internet, like a right. stand up comic Who, trying to get people to come to his comedy show, right, or like a band trying to. Uh, Fine. Yeah, or you get a flyer for a free falafel if you buy one, get one free. Who was the artist that you were saying had done this before in the 60s? What was Yayoi Kusama. It's a woman, oh. and Japanese woman. Japanese woman. Uh, from the 60s. And she's one of the most famous living artists now, oh, alive, okay. female artists, or male or female artists. Does she do, still do this kind of work? Um, she, she no, she doesn't. She 
the sculptures now. You walk into a room that's li- that has little lights in it, like a mirrored room, mm-hmm. many colors, and it looks like an infinity room. Yeah. Uh, okay. And uh, she does big mushrooms with dots on them. And mushrooms, huh? <laughs> 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 um, I was like checking out this book by Richard Prince yesterday. Right. And because I was getting in, I got, um, what do you call it? When somebody wants you to paint something, they commission you. I got commissioned to do something, and I was like remembering something Richard Prince did painting recently with all those little faces and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like very Basquiat, Debuffet vibe. Uh, and we, and uh, I was like just trying to reference it for this commission I was working on. And I, it made me think, like, damn, Richard Prince is like, super varied like he'll like all of a sudden he has a whole book now with this like sort of debuffet basquiat vibe thing going on but he's done like the photos of the marlboro man and like you know sculptures of cars and yeah and then the instagram thing and all that i I love how he's just going from idea to idea and not being hitched to an identity Right, that's uh, you, you know, know there I mean? are artists like that that are like Charles Ray, Damien Hirst that sort of go from idea to idea and don't yeah. remain constant. And then there's artists. I want to be more like that. I want, from idea to idea. I want to start to be more like that. All I, right. I, you know what I mean? Because I, I feel like I'm kind of locked into like certain things that I lock into. Well, like, sometimes I see you take mannequins and you uh, <laughs> put you know do. Uh, do different sculptural aspects in a show. Like yeah. if you, you'll find something on the street and bring it into your show. Yeah. And yeah, I, I remember you doing that. Well, you've inspired me to shift around too a bit. Yeah. Like, I love your in, photographs. In, in I always wish you did a, like a photo book. Yeah. You know? I should like, yeah, just take stuff like that a bit more seriously. Not that books are still relevant, but there's something about a paper object <laughs> mm-hmm. that is tangible and people want to hold on to or keep next to their bed and refer to it and not always be on a screen. And I think your photographs and your drawings would just be wonderful. And like a, a small edition book of like, like maybe uh, 500. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird how we like limit, limit ourselves this way and that way. Um, and how it's hard to break out of these identity molds that we fixate ourselves in. Yeah. You know well, I think I mean? it, it, I, you know, an uh, interesting artist that I've been following on Instagram is uh, a- Adam Goldberg. Um, he's an actor. Okay. He's I, also a musician. He's been on. Uh, he's a writer, too. Yeah, he's on. Yeah, I know. Th- I think I know who he is. He's you like, should follow him. He does the, the funniest Instagram stories ever. Oh, really? And, um, but he's also, uh, you know, obviously he's an actor. Right. Um, he was on Saving Private Ryan. Okay. And Dazed and Confused. Yeah. And he's a musician as well, um, but he's an amazing photographer, and he he sort of does it all. Uh, you're a musician first, mm-hmm, I guess. My experience with meeting you was uh, just fascinating because I came into it not knowing. You know, it was in 1995. Uh-huh. I was doing a big group work in Lyon, France. Uh, and um, I saw you, uh, I, I looked in the newspaper and I saw you were playing and I showed up and I said to you, you know, after you, and then you started painting while you were uh, performing. Right. I was just blown away. I'd never seen anything like that where the music right. and the and the painting was like coinciding on an equal level. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this is the second coming. I was like, I was a fan from then. Right. And um 
And then I told you that my sister had, go- excuse me, <laughs> that my wife had gone to school with your sister right. in Akron. Yeah. And that was the connection. And we hung out backstage and everyone wanted to pose. And, and some of the people that worked with you right. wanted to pose and everyone did a nude. <laughs> in a hotel room. It was either in a hotel, yeah, in a hotel room, and it was so yeah, it's that was a, a lot weird of fun. European city, right? Yeah, it was fun. So that was the first time, and then we kind of separated from for years. I hadn't run into you since, but listening to your music, and then, uh, but that that first time I saw you perform and play, I was I was always wondering, had anyone um, of that you admire not known that you painted and come to one of your performances and just right then and there realized that at times you paint when you play and what was their reaction like in a like a positive story about that oh well a positive story about that is michael stipe coming to one of my gigs and saying and um hearing about me painting live and thinking that sounded like the most pretentious thing in the world but saying that actually when he saw it he liked it like it worked or something so yeah it made sense. That's a very name droppy story, but there you go. That is the one that popped into my head. Yeah, as a I don't positive know. Story. Yeah, I think it's the most probably one of the most difficult things that a musician can do, and for some is reason, what paint live? Paint live. Yeah, it's like incredibly vulnerable. When I, I remember first doing it, how insanely vulnerable that felt. You know, just to do that in front of an audience. Like that's the thing, though. Like with everything in life. The first, like, it's it's the first time you do it and then you put it out there. You, when you're stretching your parameters, it's always very vulnerable. But that's also exactly where you expand your horizons and find power as well. So there's a relationship between vulnerability and power, you know? Like, right. empowering yourself. But you have to go through this sort of vortex of vulnerability to do so. I thought it was very heroic. You know, I know that sounds crazy, but I just, you well, became I, sort of my hero uh, in a way. Thank you. As far as, I couldn't believe it. And I then I kind of pictured who could do this. And I don't think, I don't think anyone could do it. I don't know if anyone else is doing it. Maybe some like Japanese art band or, you know. Yeah. I, well, I think like, I think it is heroic. Not just that. Anytime anyone expands their horizons is heroic. Right. You, you know what I mean? So like. Um, or anytime anybody takes a risk, right you know, like probably in some ways, a lot of people who come to your shoots are being heroic, you know? Oh, sure. Definitely. And, you, and, and like your, your massive like shoots like that have a very sort of heroic feel to them. Well, you know? I, they or, come up against a lot, a lot of, uh, politicians in the city before they happen. And a lot of, uh, sometimes the the church um, and the works when they do finally get permission to be done sort of break down some boundaries that other artists from the specific country that I I'm working in have uh, you know paved the way but sometimes by mistake a country or a city will let me do the work. Yeah. And it by will. By mistake, what do you mean by that? Well, they, they. They don't really understand what you're doing or they. Well, the work is really uh, subversive in that uh, it really changes people's minds uh, and it really, af- really affects uh, uh, the rights and freedom 
of a person's individual actions, at least, you know, certainly uh, in many Latin American countries that I've done the works where... Explain that further, though. Like, how, what do you mean? Well, I, th- I was, uh, I was, uh, there were, the, well, there was a, a law in Israel um, that went into the Knesset, called, I think it was called the Spencer Tunic Law to outlaw, outlaw nudity in Israel. I was, uh, I was in the Supreme, I personally, but I was uh, sued in the Supreme Court of Chile to stop my work. Um, I've done works in Venezuela, um, uh, in Caracas during the most tumultuous times, and somehow uh, it happened at the last minute. And so, what it does is, if I get permission, it really sets a, a, a tone for not the future future, but the immediate future of people's treatment of the body and art in public space. And and I think this sort of bandwagon effect that if this city does it, this city has to do it, is not necessarily a negative thing. I think it could add to the fact that they don't know what they're getting into and they're opening a lot of freedoms up. And so... What do you mean by, like, I, I mean, I can kind of guess what you mean, but, like, how, do the, how does that look in actual life? Like, after, say, you've gone someplace that's roughly more conservative than when you left it. Oh, okay. Like, how, how, how does that operate? Like, what does that look like? I did a work in Chile, mm-hmm. in Santiago, yeah. in 2002. And this was uh, 10 years prior. There was the Pinochet dicta- dictatorship where they were gathering up artists and art- people were disappearing. And they, oh, really? And, like uh, killing artists and stuff? Uh, so, yeah, kind of. Uh, and um, I mean, artists are annoying. I'll give them that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a joke. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I um I there I had done a work previously in in Buenos Aires and for only three hundred to four hundred people showed up. So that was for me that was a low amount for a city that I thought would. Oh, you thought it'd be epic. Thought it'd be many more people, and I Thousands. I needed a I needed. I, I thought it would be over a thousand. I, I needed it too for that photograph. Oh, really? It like bombed the photo, or could you still do something with that? It's when their currency uh, dropped and uh, there was a riot. I I came down there during the riots okay. uh, in Buenos Aires to do a work where while most artists and musicians were staying away, I came down and just did this ex- beautiful explosive work. And one yeah. of the setups could have been a lot larger okay and so in santiago i figured uh that it was going to be uh quite like that and i had already been uh sued in the supreme court to stop my work and the um and when i got there outside did my you have ho- to, sorry i don't want to interrupt because i want you to stay on focus on this yeah, yeah. but did you go to trial when you get sued or do you, um, does that just happen like I, I don't know exactly what uh, what the outcome. I know the outcome was you, positive, so but I didn't, didn't, have, didn't to, have to. You didn't have to. No, I didn't have okay. to go down okay. there. Okay, continue on. This Representatives story. of the Museum of Contemporary Art. I got it. And so, um, so I when I got down there, I woke up the day after I got down there, and there were two to three hundred protesters outside of my hotel room. 
mm-hmm. uh, with signs with my name on it. Really? And um, against the work uh, and uh, chanting and the whole deal. That's spooky, man. And I had death threats and everything. Uh, you, I was, it was quite alarming, and they had security for me. And um, so, what's the po- what was the point of the protest that you're like uh, this champion of the naked body or like the uh, devil or yeah, devil? I was, that I, Im- immoral, immoral, uh, yeah. I feel it's Immorale. important to mention for people just listening and not watching because we will show some of your photos on the video is that none of your work is sexual in any kind of way. When we sang nudity, it's not sexual positions. People are usually just lying on the street or standing up. It's very harmless in a way. In certain countries, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in most of the U.S., uh, in most of the states... Uh, in, ma- in fact, almost all the states, what I do is illegal and I could be arrested and the participants can be arrested and I won't mm. get permission. That's wild. So wait, but let's keep going with this story, though, in Chile, because like I want to hear how it, it changed after the, the work. So focused on that. So I was part of uh, the uh, Sao Paulo Biennial, which was uh, a part of the biennial was headed to the Museum of Contemporary Art in Santiago, Chile. And um, I was do, I was to do a an installation. But wait, uh, stay on the whole like they're protesters okay. outside the they're, hotel. They're protesters outside the hotel. The installation I call my group photographs installation. Uh-huh. The installation is about to happen two days from then, and then I find out. Well, the weather is freezing. Uh-huh. It's uh, below. It must be in the in the thirties. I, I can't remember exactly the, um, but the installation was happening when the World Cup was happening, the finals. Uh-huh. So people had to skip the World Cup, the World Cup to in Latin America to pose, to pose, to pose. Oh, to pose. Okay. <laughs> so, I, so I had protests. I'd gone to the to the Supreme Court, not personally, but right. and, and freezing, and it was uh, the World Cup. Uh-huh. finals was on that's what i'm saying people aren't doing that for a print man I, I, they're doing it for the experience so, i think anyway so i'd only thought 200 to three 300 would come because uh-huh. I, I figured 200 to 300 protesters i only got around 350 in buenos aires so what happened is is uh five thousand people showed up that's amazing and um uh, a newspaper named me Man of the Year of Chile. That's incredible. Which is usually reserved for politicians <laughs> and scientists. Um, what year was this? 2002. There was a saying, I mean, it could be still a saying in Chile before Tunic and after Tunic. Wow. And so. uh, yeah, and I was, I was in, there's been a, there's feature length movie uh, depicting the installate, the, the photograph starring actors coming yeah. to pose. In my in it, it was a it's a wild, like if you're known in one place, mm-hmm. uh, that's where I'm kind. Of, if I went down there, I'd be uh, a hero. Yeah, I'd be. Oh, was it one it's, photo it's in Chile? It's wonderful to have a place like that to go to. The installation was one photo. It was uh, two different setups. There right. were so many people, I couldn't control the crowd. I lost control of the crowd. It was my first time ever losing control of the crowd. Plus, all my equipment was in the museum. My uh, cam. My ladders, my megaphones. What do you mean you lost control of the crowd? 
I I totally lost control of the crowd. They just started. What does that look like? They they started. They're just running naked with dogs and clothing and screaming and jumping. It was, like, it was insane. Shouting. Where's that photograph? We'll put it up. You send it to me. Yeah, but the, I have a video of it. That's just I'll send you. It's just. Okay, maybe we can have that as B roll. Yeah. All right, yeah, we'll definitely. It. Yeah, we need to start having B roll. Oh stuff no! While he's talking, that'll be up. I always okay. wish podcasts had like a picture that would come up, you know, on an yeah. Apple podcast, I, I but do, oh, they don't no, do that. Apple podcast, you can't. Why not? Uh, people, gen. while people next are gen. driving, they'll be like, uh, exactly. Next gen. Trying to keep people alive. <laughs> right. What are you trying to kill people? <laughs> I wish the protesters won. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so then, so. That's cool. I, I love that for a lot of reasons. One, like, you know, when you get all that neg- negativity, like 300 people, like, you know, chanting and death calls, it's like, that's like, that's a sign that things are going well. Like, it, you know, the amount of haters you get or something is like the fact that it w- exploded into this 5,000 person event and that you became man of the year and everything like that. Like, uh, I don't know that that's that's a kind of a rocky sort of story in a way, but like, so I guess the the after tunic would be just a more liberated society. What do you think? What do you think it means? Yeah, definitely a more liberated society because not only because of my event and my that happened, but just because how the the media and the people mm-hmm. the participants kept it going as well and kept that spirit. And, uh, and bef- yeah, so it's just, uh, and to this day, um, I'm always, oh, people are wanting me to come back to Chile, Chile and do, do another work. And, uh, it's just, uh, amazing. When are you going to go back? You got to go back. Yeah, I definitely want to go back. Maybe, uh, t- maybe, uh, 2020. Tw- yeah. twenty twenty. Call it hindsight. 2022. <laughs> Heine sight. Heine There you go. There you go. There. 2020 Heine sight in Chile. So, and then like recently you were doing the free the nipple thing on Facebook or on Instagram. Right, right. Oh, more Instagram, I guess. Like, and um, I, I was wondering like what your take is on... The fact that the internet, that it came on all freedom, like there was no limitations on the internet, basically, like um, there was no, you know, shadow banning and deplatforming and all that stuff. And then now that we're like inseparable with the internet, now that we can't like do without the internet, suddenly all of our freedoms are being more and more stripped away, the the sort of outrage culture, silencing oh. people. Okay. Well, Instagram is sort of the magazine of the world right now. Right. And if artists are being uh, censored yeah. on the magazine of the world, totally. that's a serious issue. Yeah. And not only censored, but someone might have 40,000, 100,000 followers, or even 4,000 followers that they've, uh-huh. uh, that they've, spent so much Worked time cultivating keep, yeah. over years and years could yeah. be seven years yeah. and then to delete that they delete it and then not have a easy way to appeal and is uh quite alarming and it's, people say why are you protesting this there's so many other things in the world going mm-hmm. on right that you could protest but 
Why not protest a lot of things at uh, once? By the way, I think freedom of speech is pretty much a worthy uh, pursuit of like what like to me that's like number one alarm bell. Like the minute they start infringing on freedom of speech, it's like, are you kidding me? That's the spookiest thing going. So my first experience with uh, being censored was on Facebook in 2014, and the Village Voice wrote about it and right. uh, did two articles on it. And then I, I had a contact who gave me a contact high up at Facebook, and I started a relationship with mm -hmm. Facebook where I would, they would help me decide if an individual picture was okay for me to post or not, mm -hmm. so I wouldn't be taken down. So a work that was very far away that had possibly 5,000 people in it or 2,000 people in it where you couldn't really depict the nudity that much. It just but became 2, sort of an abstraction. equals 4,000 nipples, Spencer. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So they would say, okay, <laughs> sure. Is my math right yeah, on that? Yeah, true, true. Anyway, go. Yeah, I love it. Well, some people have three nipples in the crowd. Oops, I do. No, I'm just kidding. Scaramanga. <laughs> Give or take 4,000 nipples. You know, it could be 4,500 nipples. Anyway, go for it. What were we going to yeah, say? So, Sorry uh, to interrupt. Yeah, so I... Uh, well, so where was I? I so forget. you posted a new... You posted one so of the things on Facebook and it got they taken would, down. Uh, right, and then they Facebook would decide, uh, would help me decide. I had an email. I would send an individual person photographs, and they would say, oh, you could post this one, not this one. You could post this one. So I had some help mm -hmm. not being deleted. Or my, because the threat you would get was <sighs> if you do more of these posts, your whole site will Account be deleted. Delete. So I was like... Yeah, I, people's accounts get swiped, man. Yeah, so I had, a very, I had professional contacts on my Facebook, and... So I had this relationship and that led to my uh, a connection when I started Instagram in 2012 to uh, someone at Instagram that helped me there as well. Uh, so uh, when I, if a work, if a picture was deleted, they would help reinstate it. And, um, but, but then I lost that he got either, he left Instagram and I tried to, uh, for him to connect me with another person and he didn't connect me with another person. Uh, he tried. He contacted Facebook and Instagram to have someone there that could help me, and no one wanted to help me. And so then I was, I was lost. And then I, at that time, a lot of artists were sending me uh, uh, messages about their sites being taken down and 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 images, but mostly about their whole entire accounts being taken down. So I sort of become, became the sounding board for that. Uh, How many artists? Can, like I would say in a week, in a month, maybe uh, three to four, but that's yeah. a lot. Then I started getting shadow banned. Right. And that really freaked me out because here's a new issue where, um, so I would post a picture and, um, and then I would, hashtag a uh like a museum right and then i would hashtag climate change let's say if the issue if the photograph dealt with uh climate change or for whatever reason i wanted to hashtag it climate change mm -hmm. and, and i would um so the work would uh show up in the museum's uh hashtag area but not in the climate change area and then I started, then I created my own hashtag, Emotional Freeway. Uh, 
which is a good title for you. That is a good title. <laughs> uh, what, where, where did that come from? So emotional. I've been photographing uh, in the Ramapo Mountains in Harriman State Park overlooking a, a superhighway. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the people that I'm photographing in individual photographs are nude on a rock, a huge, massive rock outcropping, looking down at the superhighway, Highway 87. And so this series on Instagram, I started to call Emotional Freeway. Mm. And then none of my pictures were showing up in a, in a hashtag that I created. And then my hashtags were shadow banned mm-hmm. for like months. Yeah, the shadow banning is like super disturbing because then it's like they're not even banning you. They're just making it so the algorithm or whatever... However you say that word, algorithm. Algorithm. A logorithm. A logorithm. I wish it was a logorithm. So the, uh, that's, a log- a, that's an island in fantasy so island. The, so the <laughs> logorithm won't even fucking, excuse my French, won't even show anybody what you're putting out there. So I'm in contact with someone else at Facebook now. Yeah. And they say to me uh, th- that it's community standards, but community standards Ugh. of the world community. So as a leader the u.s in free speech are we are we should we shouldn't we be leading the standards as instead of you know many malaysian countries and indonesian countries exactly but when when they're taking away freedom of speech in america and it's like everyone's too afraid to even say anything or even acknowledge it it's like i'm watching what i thought was america just be like well, you know, that's just how it is, I guess. Like, right. And it's like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> like, dude. But I get hash. I get hashtagging. Uh, I get it in a way as far as, like, if I post a nude and just saying, if the nude is posing with, uh, you know, cupcakes, <laughs> I don't know if I'm doing that photograph in the near future, but then you put, you know, colorful cupcakes as the hashtag, a lot of children are going to see that. And depending on the nature of the photograph, I'm not sure if I want my my 12-year-old daughter and my other daughter looking at naked people in a colorful cupcakes area. So it's like... Well, that's that's a point. So how do you work around that? Um, Well, I think you have to somehow keeping your parameters and but there has to be a way for to appeal so if your hashtag like i worked with a museum in and if they commissioned me to do a large photograph i want to be able to hashtag the museum and it show up in their hashtag field there has to be a way to appeal or there has to be a way that you get certified that your account that you're not like a troublemaker and you can if there is trouble your account if they notice that you did something wrong, that you're you won't get banned, or there's someone to contact, and so well, what? Look, what about that though? Like, what about okay, nudity on social media, but kids have access to social media. So how do you like? How do you? Well, YouTube. How does that go in your head? Like, right. How do you deal with that? Right. Well, um, YouTube allows artistic nudity on their platform. Okay. They don't allow porn. So there is right. a way that these social media companies can uh, yeah. filter or work on it or find ways to, uh, to, make, to, to, to be able to allow artists working with the nude somehow uh, have uh, their works 
either it's a ver mm -hmm. verification of age or something, but right. there has to be some answers instead of just uh, the nude in art doesn't exist unless fully censored. Right. So what was the result of, okay, I could see that. So what was the result of your um, free the nipple campaign? Um, right. What, what happened with that? Well, what is the law in the U.S. that you said it was illegal for you? What is the actual law? Well, the actually making the works physically ta on the street, me and let's say one person or me and 100 people, um, most of the laws against public nudity in states were created uh, to protect the public against the porn industry. Which I think that's good. That's good. So... Um, but at the same time, it affected artists working with the body in a non-pornographic way. Right. Um, and so uh, most of the states in the United States, including New Jersey, uh, there are, there's no window uh, in the law that even if you're an artist, that you can work with the body nude in, in public oh, space outside of an enclosed environment. New York State luckily has a law that you can work with the nude. Uh, if it's for art, entertainment, or exhibition. And um, when I used to get arrested in the, in the mid-90s to 2000, around five times, um, it was in my rights to do the work. But Giuliani, uh, the mayor at the time, didn't like the law and decided to instruct the police commissioner to arrest, to instruct the police to arrest me. If what they do you saw get arrested me. for? Like, what's the charge? Indecent exposure. Causing a violent act, indecent exposure. Causing a violent act. Promoting the exposure of a person, blocking pedestrian traffic. Promoting the exposure of a person? Yeah. What happened with the Free the Nipple campaign? Uh, Facebook is going to now have a meeting with artists to uh, discuss how um, artists and uh, museum uh museums and institutions mm -hmm. uh, to try to uh, finally discuss uh, a way to uh, allow uh, artistic nudity, artistic nudity um, of, with photography and video on their platform uh, to discuss how this could happen. And, okay. Yeah. So it actually worked or it might. It, it worked in, in, uh, in. It raised awareness. It raised awareness. It worked in getting the meeting and it also worked uh, in that the appeals process is, um, is going, may, might be easier. And, uh, you know, it didn't start with me. Uh, one of the first artists protesting the uh, censorship was an uh, artist named Nicole Hebron. Oh, yeah. And uh, she was the first. Shout out, what's her name? McCole Hebron. McCole Hebron. She was the first artist what to use the male do? nipple oh. to uh, cover the female nipple. Oh. And since then, many, many artists have done that either with photography or illustration. Mm -hmm. And this was my iteration of that, uh, of the, that, that practice. Of that practice. Or that, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. I'm just I'm just curious because I'm looking at your book called uh, Reaction Zone. That's mostly uh, '90s stuff and 2000. It has a lot of New York City stuff, which right? Is, which is beautiful, including your first one here. That's called General Assembly of the UN that you talked about. Right. Yeah. So all these all these photos on the Brooklyn Bridge in Times Square. Did you have to get permits for them? If back then like how did or did you sneak onto the street and just take it because some of these like there's traffic you clearly didn't block the street for the photos 
Right, so my Reaction Zone book, just so you know, is a, a limited edition book that is self-published, and uh, you can get get it on my website. Um, and it, yeah, my wife designed it. She's a graphic designer, and she w- she went through the whole process with me, Kristen Bowler. Shout um, out, Christy. Yeah, and uh, and what it depicts are photographs or. I, as I call them, insta- installations or installation photographs of hundreds of people in different locations around the city of New York and some in Brooklyn. And um, none of those photographs uh, had uh, permits um, because uh, the city wouldn't give me permits, even though I was allowed, I should have been given a permit. So when I went to the film uh, permit office, they said, we can't give you a permit. And then they kind of hinted to me that I would have to steal locations in order to make my work. And I got the hint. So I continued to steal locations. And then police would find out about my work eventually somehow. uh, And they would send paddy wagons with uh, police to arrest the participants. I'll I'll put this photo. It's, It's called Sex Drive. That shows... The, the police vans to arrest you guys? And why is everyone dressed? You couldn't pull this one off? Right. If, if, uh, if they got undressed in that work, they would drag people into the trucks, into the police vans, and, okay. and arrest me. But I, w- I had a feeling they would start arresting them first. And so um, no one really wanted to be arrested, you know. But uh, I figured I should do a photograph because everyone was there. So I had everyone put their hands up. And that's, that's the first one. work I yes. ever had of people putting their hands up. Right. And this one shows the press also. Right. That's the one that this is like, uh, that's pretty intense. What's going on? Yeah, that was an intense one. And the only person to be nude was a baby in the foreground of the photograph. Dude, I I ran by that and took a photo of that on my Instagram like two days ago. The lobsters. (laughs) I love that. I love those three lobsters. I love that. That's why I did the work there. I love the three lobsters. Three lobsters. Yeah. Here, pick a card. Pink Tenderness, 1999. Oh, you're going to... Okay, pick a card. <laughs> this is a new deck. I don't know what this is. What is a card? All right, you answer. You, Actually you, Curious you, deck. You, you, what's your say? When do you feel most secure? That's a good question. When, when do you feel most secure? When I have uh, the money uh, you, w- back, like when I have the money to pay my mortgage. Oh, I see. Mortgage you're saying because you have children. Because, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this has been saw, a very difficult year for me. So I'm, Oh, has it really? Oh, yeah, definitely. I didn't know that. I'm sorry to hear that. That's all right. It's just... Uh, it's life, bro. It's life. I had a great 2018. Yeah. And I was in a biennial and I had works in Australia. Yeah. But 2019, as far as uh, just sort of not so I'm surviving, but as far right. as just like not being secure right. about 2020, yeah, uh, basically financial. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing with being an artist is like uh, you know we it's like you know it's sometimes you're like by hook or by crook, you know, right? And then other exactly. times, other times you're more flush. Yeah. Um, so, um, but that's because I decided to. Uh, uh, do everything myself, you know, you know, I, I don't have, I represent myself yeah. and, um, it was going well for 10 years, uh, selling directly to collectors and museums and mm-hmm. doing installations with museums and selling works to museums, but it's hard. You stop creating. And that's what I always admired about you because mm-hmm. when you left your uh, manager and mm-hmm. you found one right away, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and 
And that was amazing to me. And it gave yeah. me such confidence. And I was like, I got to fucking do that. But I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I don't deal with rejection well. And yeah. so, uh, I was too nervous to, uh, put, put myself out there. Like yeah. I can get a 5,000 people naked, but if I'm, I'm often intimidated by people mm-hmm. that, uh, and, that are in a, a position that position. So, and you probably know that from me cause sometimes I get tongue tied mm-hmm. uh, sometimes, but, uh, uh, I, um, I didn't make that move like you did and I did it all myself and it was yeah. wonderful and successful and I didn't stop making art. Mm-hmm. You know, I continued to really dive into the art, but I also did the the negotiating of the contracts and the selling of the work mm. and the answering and I have thousands of participants and a yeah. hundred thousand people want to pose for me on my lists, you know, and so it's just so much for me. I got overwhelmed and because I didn't have people helping me, I I yeah, it led to this moment where um, I need to reinvent myself. And yeah. so this is an interesting thing, a card that I got, when do you feel most secure? And I think I feel most secure when I'm, when I'm not worrying about uh, yeah. uh, paying my mortgage and my children's health insurance. So like right. it's come to that, but I'm going to pick it up to the, like the next, not even the next level, the, the next, the next, next level. Next level. Yeah after this interview yeah well this interview is the kickoff point <laughs> right i like do, is there anything you do to like actively like manifest like i i'm into that stuff like vis- wish boards or vision boards or like writing down like i want this 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 that and the other and like sort of envisioning what you want do you do anything like that on new year's Kristen and i uh do a you know, your new year's list. Mm-hmm. And I've done all my lists except, uh, create, find that partner who's going to find that partner. Who's going to help me, um, take it to the next level. Right. You know, whether that's a gallery or an individual representing me, uh, independently, but finding that, that partner, that family member, which is often a gallery that right. can help me just concentrate on making work. Yeah. And I don't have to do everything else. I, That's why I always admire when you made that that move mm-hmm. and you're just like you're just like flowing like you the way it's a, just amazing how how I was so worried about you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't know this. And I discussed with Kristen about like what happens when something stops and something starts again. And it, it just like you didn't skip a beat. I oh, mean, no, I skip beats. I mean, okay. it's like, dude, you can never, there's an old phrase, like never compare your insides with somebody else's outsides. You ever heard that? Yeah. That's like a 12 step movement. Okay. Thing. But it's like, cause it always seems like somebody from the outside is like, Oh, they got their shit together. This, that, or the other. But like the inside realm is like a, a spooky place, you know? So, I mean, I, my, you know, Dude, I went through like hell and back, you know, on all on a bunch of levels. And I'm still like every day is like a is a recovery in a way. It's like every day is like um, a a work of getting my state of mind together. I go to yoga every single day. I run a bunch of miles every day. Like all that is all that is to keep my state together so that I can be an artist without taking drugs, without doing self-destructive things, you know, like, um, and that's my work, you know, and, and, and it's like what's manifesting things like this podcast and stuff like that, you know, which is also an aspect of survival. But, um, 
do you do anything like that? Like a daily meditation, any kind of daily maintenance on your spirit or like uh, physically or anything like that? You seem like you're in good shape. You look good, you know. Um, during, uh, it's kind of interesting that you have, you're involved in this. Um, I, um, the night of the election, uh, that Trump was elected, uh-huh. uh, I did a photograph cause every election night I do a photograph during the elections mm-hmm. of people posing nude, um, and either being extremely exhilarated or in defeat. And after doing this photograph of around 28 people or t- excuse me, 25 people, uh, in New York city, I drove home with Kristen in complete shock. I, I drove home and it, I don't know if it took me 10 hours or two minutes. I, whatever. I was like in a daze. Uh-huh. I got home and I, there's a, a political lawn sign that Kristen painted mm-hmm. in front of our house that was pro Hillary and right. a beautiful um, inclusionary uh, design and wording. And I lifted that wooden uh, sign yeah. with posts myself out of the ground and dragged it into the backyard. And I injured my back and I was in bed for a month, uh, unable to move and um, literally not being able to get up and walk. That sucks. And then you told me you were on Mark Marin. Uh-huh. And I had never heard of him. WTF. Right. Mm-hmm. And I listened to the podcast. I, I'm hoping I'm, the, the timeline is happening. But for whatever reason, yeah. Kristen said, you have to get this therapy tub, uh, which is a, a, like, it's kind of like a soft. It's called a soft tub. It's like this small, low-end hot tub. Yeah. <laughs> and just soak in it. And so for six months, I just soaked in that hot tub, um, healing myself and listening to Mark Maron. Uh Epsom salt baths kind of thing? No, just uh, circulating water and just soaking. And so I think soaking and also... I put up a basketball hoop and I, you know, I shoot a lot. I shoot a lot of basketball. And you meditate in that too? Um, I'm, I'm pretty good at at shooting. So for me, meditation is sort of like shooting swishes. Oh, okay. (laughs) Just like, um, I, I get a lot of, uh, is it a, is it a basketball, like a little bathtub basketball or is the basketball outside? All right. (laughs) No, I'm like, no, it's a a hot tub. No, it's a big, it's a gorilla. (laughs) It's a big in the cement. You know, basketball hoop in the cement <laughs> sort of thing. Real basketball. <laughs> okay, so it's not one of the Ooh. mini ones. Yeah, it's not a mini one. I was one. picturing you in the tub shooting the hoop, like, you know. Thank God you don't make realist paintings of artists. <laughs> oh, man, I could never do it. I could never do it. So, um, yeah, we work together as well. Several things. Yeah. Yeah. Where um, you used to live in, uh, in Red, Red Hook, Red and Hook. I brought a bunch of friends, like maybe... 12 people over to pose on your roof and, and you I painted them you painted their bodies that was the currency of love video currency of love video that you directed that shot, hey, who yeah. shot it that's right and, and the funny thing about that video is at the time we were so concerned about youtube because in the video which you'll see something on screen right now from that video every single uh girl in the video is completely naked yeah, and and we we didn't know if it was gonna get flagged. Uh, Joe painted them all. Did it get flagged? Uh, no, oh, and yeah. and and you could see. I mean, you could. Everyone's naked in the video, and it's, yeah, I think yeah. they allow YouTube allows body painting to a certain extent. Yeah. But um, 
And the reason I, uh, I'm maybe getting off topic, the reason I thought you could do it so well is because when we were in the airport in Mexico, uh -huh. you were drawing on your uh, messenger bag uh -huh. with such detailed lines yeah. that I was like, because I had only really seen you doing works while you, you're playing music. Mm -hmm. And that is a different experience. That's yeah. like talking about two bodies of work. There's one body of work, which is like figurative abstract. And then you have a, another body of work, which in my mind, which is just detailed expression. That's very a thin line that can is, is masterful. And I Thank was like, you. yeah, I was like, maybe he can do this on people's bodies and then maybe he could paint i could print the photographs that i take of of that i that i take of him yeah. painting and put them on canvas and then he could paint on the canvas and draw on the canvas and those thin lines and yeah. the photographs came out the paintings your paintings on my photographs came out beautiful oh yeah that was great you guys yeah. had an art exhibit in mexico yeah. right oh that's right yeah, we had an Anato. we had an artist exhibit. Anato. Anato, yeah. Anato, yeah. Anato. Shout out Anato. He yeah. has a Those really gorgeous cool gallery in uh, San Miguel, Mexico. And uh, one, a few of the paintings hang now at this hotel called Hotel Matilda. Yeah. And it's in um, Enrique Oliveira's restaurant there called Moxie. Mm. In Mexico. In Mexico, in Mexico and yeah. his work hangs there and. Uh, our work hangs there and so it was a great show so my card says how do you find fulfillment what do you think how do you find fulfillment that's your question for Bobby. you oh my <laughs> man i'm not fulfilled let me be real real about it <laughs> i mean i'm not fulfilled and i'm looking for fulfillment you know like every day like that's what i was sort of saying before i find fulfillment I guess in the moment, but I wouldn't say I'm fulfilled. Like, I, I don't know that I ever have moments where I feel fulfillment, you know? Like, yeah, that seems too too complete for what how I would describe myself in the state. I'm not an unhappy person. I mean, I'm fulfilled when I'm doing creative stuff. Like, right now, this is fulfilling. Like, the fact that we're making something right now, this is fun to me. Like, so this is like as close to fulfilled, fulfilled as I get. I guess if I do a yoga class for 90 minutes, that's sort of fulfillment. But there's no, there's no like, I'm fulfilled now. It's like, it's usually like fulfillment lasts for like 15 minutes, you know? Not even. <laughs> yeah, that's an exaggeration. But, you know, what do you think? How do you Well, find I think it? a lot has to do with social media. People's fulfillment is now is this acceptance of their posts on, uh, on social media. People's reactions in, in an immediate way. Well, I like it when people like my posts, but I wouldn't say that gives me fulfillment. Like, th this gives me fulfillment. Right. More making well, stuff more. Like... Because that's like I would say fulfillment's more coming from with a feeling of from within. Right. I think that's your in your case that's true. Yeah. But in a lot of other people's cases, right, including that, kids that are just on the couch all day oh, on their machines, yeah. uh, our um, their fulfillment is a, a satisfaction likes. or likes or that's very troubling. It and is troubling, dude. Well, don't get me started. I was already talking about our freedoms getting taken away, but like. AI, where that's going to go, like wearables, like your Bluetooth headphones, and then 
pretty soon it's going to be like you know there are elon musk has already got the brain chip coming and then it you know it the, <laughs> the computers are going to go inside us pretty soon and you think you're going to resist it but they're going to make it like the sales pitch is it's going to make us superhuman and that's going to be the sales pitch and the thing is is it's like a, it's a boiling toad thing. It's like a slow boil. Like all these things couldn't be introduced at once because you'd be like, what the fuck? Like if the internet came out and a week later they're banning diet channels, you'd be like, what the fuck? But it's a slow boil thing where it's like, oh, let's ban this. Oh, okay, well, that's okay because that guy's crazy. But now it's like, oh, let's ban this. Oh, and then it's like each, it, it's taking us step by step. Well, the same thing with AI like wearables oh put your headphones in your ears all the time oh, okay having your phone all the time oh okay but it's like now brain chip if they just it came out with brain chip you'd be like what the fuck <laughs> you know what i mean but like they're getting they're indoctrinating us too and and also like movies that we see like that it's like ais and all this stuff it's it's all an indoctrination interesting yeah, yeah i mean there, it's just there's so much of everything. There's so much information. There's you can never stop consuming, and the 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 way to get around that is is I think parents or friends or whatever have to help each other out by, you know, you don't need that much to be satisfied. I think it's important to be up to date on certain music or certain images or artists, but. I think there comes a point where uh, you shouldn't have too many followers uh, or you shouldn't be following too many people. You shouldn't be right. seeing too much, you know, because yeah. uh, you're going to miss things. Too much information. Too much information. And uh, yeah. that's one of the reasons I, I, I deleted all my uh, I'm not following anyone anymore. I, really? A few days ago, I deleted all my the people I was following. I really? You unfollowed me. And the reason I did it was because <laughs> I got follow a, zero. I just did it. Um, How did you do that in one foul swoop? Just uh, an evening because one I became I became addicted, um, and I in fifty years if I haven't consumed enough information and images, there's no one person that's going to change me uh, that quickly. If I want to, I know the people who I enjoy following their stories. If I want to mm -hmm. dip in to Joseph Arthur, mm -hmm. I'll. I'll type in your name. It comes out really yeah. quickly because I, you know, I dip in a lot. Yeah, yeah. If I want to follow Adam Goldberg, I'll dip in. If I want to follow um, Marilyn Minter or other artists that I enjoy, I'll dip in. I just I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't make work. I I kind of I would get up, have coffee in bed, turn you know, have my phone on, and yeah. I'd be in bed for like an hour and a half on uh -huh. my phone. I'd okay, like, I see. Here's how I deal with that because okay. I will, like, I will, like, just let myself fuck up. Because to me, if I go into my phone first thing in the morning, that's an automatic fuck up. Like, I know that. But at the same time, I got a 10 a.m. yoga class I'm going to go to, and I'm going to try to run before that. So that's going to be in a four mile run and then 90 minutes yoga, and then I won't turn on my phone for at least a half hour after yoga, so I know for a fact I'm gonna be away from my phone for at least two to three hours every day. 
And that def that's definitely that definitely happens. Yeah, definitely. And, I see you running. And yeah. and so the, yeah, I'll post a run, but yeah. I won't like look, you know. Right. And so I'm away from the phone. Well, I mean, I got YouTube, like I got a mantra on or something. But you know, I'm not. Right. Like, I'm not on addictive vibe of social right. media thing. So what I did is I keep on. I keep on posting and posting contact like I had been. I'm just not constantly, mm -hmm. you know, looking at everyone's stories and, and their feeds. And so, uh, and in a way, I've had more time to be with my kids. I'm not, I'm not, there's no, the fighting has been a little bit less. You know, not that the fighting was a lot. I'm just saying I'm commu community, communi communicating, communicating. <laughs> communicating. communicating more with Kristen and my wife and uh, and I think I'll be able to be more productive but uh, still the people who want content um, that are not dealing with thousands and thousands and thousands of people like uh, you know yeah. my, like I'm dealing with for my work cause but when you put when you post something do you still then like I have a hard time not looking like and then like you know I, I feel like obligated to like like when people comment things and stuff do you have that I have uh Casey Neistat did a, a vlog on my work and um, it had like millions of uh, views on YouTube and I, I got an inc incredible amount of followers from the Middle East mm -hmm. and most of them, almost all of them positive, love my work. I have so many followers from Iran, Iran Iranian women um, and, and men and artists and professionals and students. But through them following me, they're hitting up other people mm. that find my work for the first time. And it's like the second coming of the, you know, it's like oh. negative, you know, my work. So I get a lot of. Uh, oh, it's negative. Yeah. My, because my work is naked and I get a lot of people um, posting uh, derogatory and negative comments, including many, uh, even from the U.S., many Republicans and and conservative people uh so i have unfortunately i have to sort of look at my posts and see uh who's said something uh that is not yeah. is not proper but uh, i would hate that like i wouldn't look but like, i do love i, I, I like hate any, negative comments yeah but i do love like <laughs> anyone else i love when people give me a compliment it's just so yeah. nice because i've worked so hard and yeah So uh, wait, on Instagram you get negative comments. That's what you're saying, or just on that YouTube? On, on Instagram. Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I so see not that like, many. You get like a million likes and trolls shit like are that. everywhere. Not that many, but oh, okay. enough to where I have to like, where oh, what did, what's happened? What did someone say today? Oh, uh, so I wouldn't look. Dang. Yeah. So if I get a negative comment, I like usually, or if somebody like says some shitty shit, I usually just delete them and like, and then. Uh, what do you call it? Block them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, okay, goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> Does it discourage you from creating more? Um, no, no, definitely. Uh, I'm never, I'm never discouraged from creating. I'm always, you know, excited to make something new and I'm always, I always have something bubbling in the back of my head. Uh, or what's the expression? Bubbling on the, 
Is that an even expression? <laughs> no, you just made it up. <laughs> bubbling in the back of my head. <laughs> What's the expression? Bubbling in the back of my head. Oh, yeah, I got a t-shirt that says that. I got another thing. Bubbling in the back of my head. <laughs> bubbling in the back of my head. It's like a country song. Bubbling in the back of my head. Yeehaw. That's awesome. What's your card say, dude? Oh, that's. What's the most important thing that was omitted from your education growing up? Wow, you got a weird one. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that half of the stuff doesn't really matter. I, I could mean, say this, okay man. I no, listen. The most important thing that was omitted from my education growing up was my education. <laughs> yeah, identifying <laughs> identifying human nature, like. Knowing that human nature, what, you know, like knowing to like look out for, you know, certain aspects of human nature that were, are prevalent in this world, you know, that, that would have been really good information right. to know right around this, the time I was in fourth grade, you know, anyway, what about you? What was the question? What's the most important part of education that was admitted from you growing up? Hmm. They didn't teach photography in school. He learned photography, bro. I think uh, I. I <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're talking to him. <laughs> I meant I took this as education as like high school and. Uh, I know, but I was stuff. saying I, I think a, business. I have practical some like a, a oh, basic yeah. business course. You know that would that would always too money. I, I always envy uh, friends who yeah bought a house when they were real or yeah put it did something financially at a young age to secure something that i should have thought of mm -hmm. you know but i didn't because i didn't know so uh just uh sort yeah. of a business class yeah less, no that's high a, school would be great less bible more business that's a good answer yeah um, i i actually uh i went to military school so um and there was no art program in my military school but i I uh, complained to the superintendent, and they started an art class, and so uh, I kind of fixed things for other students and myself in military school. And uh, it's the same; uh, it was uh, New York Military Academy. So, so that's something that I didn't have that I created. So, so I just had a question about like your work process. Um, because I've seen you work and it is there's a lot going on and it's not like a regular photo shoot where somebody sets up lights and it's like some of your subjects like you have uh, shoots in Switzerland or in Israel in the Dead Sea where people are like half a mile away from you and there's a thousand people so how do you how do you communicate to everyone how do you get so a many, megaphone right a megaphone and a ladder but how do you actually it's like <laughs> You you really the whole thing the actual you have like a split second window to get what you need. The people that pose for me are just like so supportive and trusting and collaborative that when they see someone doing something in front of them they'll follow suit. So sometimes I'll try to use the megaphone to reach the people in the back so they can hear me, yeah. but the people in the front think I'm going crazy. And so, so it's difficult. Why do they think you're going crazy? Because I'm shouting, but I'm not uh, shouting at the people in the front. I'm, I'm sort of trying uh, to get someone to put their leg down. You're playing or, for the cheap seats. <laughs> so, yes. 
So yeah, so uh, but ha sometimes I try to see if there's a way to get a sound system, and there's a, a hidden sound system throughout. Uh, okay. And then I'll have a a microphone, but at the same time I get that crazy what's it called, Joe, with a reverb or what's it called when Delay. you feedback feedback. And I when I have feedback, I start to talk very slow and I can't communicate. <laughs> So I have a difficult time with that. The best way is a megaphone. So it's not always, you know, my largest work uh, that I've done was 18,000 people in the Zocalo in Mexico City, posing nude. And for that, um, I had a sound system that the government uh, loaned us. And um, for, so that was very successful, but still it was the largest square in the world and they couldn't hear me in the back. So it took me forever to get people into a position where they're curled it's up. It's like Chinese whispers. You say, hey, front row, tell the road behind you, then keep doing it. And then by the time it gets to the back row, you're telling everybody to put their arms up, but in the back row, everyone's standing on their exactly. head. Exactly. <laughs> I just hope that people in the front just are really cool and listen to me and not kind of rebel with a crazy position. Um, it's but impossible not to. That We all know how Chinese whispers goes. And then as on the opposite side of the spectrum, how do you pull off a, a shoot in Times Square without a permit? You uh, hand out flyers. Uh, it's very hard to do it now. You'd have to do what I did in the past where you hand out flyers individually to people, people not wearing suits, people that don't look, people that look like bohemians <laughs> and, um, and just individual flyers uh, completely underground and off the internet is a good way to do it because uh, uh, even when I was doing, uh, later on when I was doing my large group works, uh, someone f that worked for the city, Giuliani's administration was secretly on, on my list. And as a favor, he said to me, you know, I was on your list, but I didn't notify the authorities. So, and that's because he was dating a, a friend of mine and she kind of, Help help me out. But physically, you show up at like four in the morning. Like, how do you execute? Oh, it? yeah, we show up before the sun rises, um, and as the sun rises, I give people instructions. It's everyone casually on the street, like they belong, or in the past we've held up signs, bird watching tour, <laughs> on the Brooklyn Bridge. We had a sign like that. <laughs> and sometimes we would have someone dress up in costume to divert that we were while we were gathering that it was some sort of like uh, fashion or comic oriented photograph um, so uh, but usually you gather really quickly and you do the work really quickly and that didn't work in 1999 in Times Square and I was arrested uh, with with my assistant in front of all the participants and that's the case that worked its way up to the Supreme Court, up to the federal courts in New York, where I won at every federal court level, the federal New York Supreme Court. And then um, it went up to the U.S. Supreme Court because Giuliani appealed my win. At, and uh, then it went to Ginsburg, and she decided in the with my winning at the New York, the highest New York level of the courts, and then which the, the city reappealed to the entire Supreme Court. Um, so the entire Supreme Court was looking at naked photos, uh, summer of 99. Oh, yours, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, 
And so, um, and then the entire court decided that my works were First Amendment protected and uh, they remanded it back down. So I won. Uh, I won the right to make my works in New York City against Giuliani. My lawyer, who I love, they awarded me $33,000. What's your lawyer's name? Ron Kuby. Ron Kuby. Yeah. Shout out to Ron Kuby. <laughs> Fucking, uh, yeah, I know Ron Kuby. He helped me get my van back. <laughs> He's also the big That's Lebowski dude. He's also the big Lebowski lawyer, like uh, in the Big Lebowski, right? Yeah, like Jeff goes, Bridges says, Jeff "I want Bridges my lawyer." Say, I need my lawyer, Ron Kuby. Really? Yeah. Oh my God. So Ron defended me in five arrests, and uh, him in the, the NYC famous lawyer. Yeah. Him in the NYCLU uh, uh, defended me against Giuliani and the and the Howard Sh uh, Schaefer, the police commissioner. Uh, they used to uh, instruct the DA's office on what to do to uh, artists working with a nude body based on my work, and it wasn't so pleasant. Uh, but uh, I, I'm, I'm just lucky to be part of the conversation and just have had a little moment in time where I kind of solidified the law that you can't deny artists permits for working with the naked body on the streets in New York and actually all of New York State. So, Dude. Thank you for doing the podcast. Yeah. We, we got to wrap it up, but it's uh, been an honor having you on. Thanks, and Joe. I'm telling you what, man. Long may you ride, dude. And uh, and uh, I'm sure it's going to keep up leveling like what you're planning. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, Appreciate, it. Putting, Appreciate uh, it. Putting that good energy out there for Spencer Tunic. Yeah, and people can buy your books and prints and everything off your website. Yeah. Tell, no, I don't, tell I don't sell photographs off my website, but my books are uh, at spencertunic.com. Why don't you sell photographs off your website? Uh, I don't know. I just don't. I, I'm, I'm not really into posting works on the website and photographing and selling them. Um, usually, I like to do that somehow in a very more private way Got it. okay well tell people where to find you um i live in the <laughs> hudson valley <laughs> to give them your address oh. <laughs> my my uh, i i have a email on my website and uh, instagram is what yeah instagram i i have i have a really i i'm trying to post uh, great stories on instagram keep my content flowing and because i'm my at spencer tunic uh yeah it's spencer tunic at Spencer Tunick, and uh, and again, people are my medium, so I need to connect to my medium. So so go check out Spencer Tunick and leave positive feedback on on the comments. Thanks, Spencer. Thanks, Thanks Joe. Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.